We have a special treat this morning, and that is that uh, our friend Leland Eliason is going to be giving the message this morning. Yes, we can give him a round of applause. Many of you know Leland already because him and his wife Carol have been a part of our community for many years now. Um, Leland served on our leadership team until his term just recently ended, and he has been a mentor to myself and to Michael and the rest of our pastoral team. He has been somebody who's been influential back when he was helping to run Bethel Seminary where, truth be told, all of our staff graduated with their MDiv. So just, it's out there. I know, we all went there. It's fine. But Leland has been instrumental in uh, creating that space and that place for training pastors and now is continuing to do that around the country. And we love having him and Carol as a part of our congregation. And we're really excited for him to be able to share this with us this morning. So as he comes up, could you give him a warm welcome? Thank you. That was very kind, Stephanie, and I'm grateful. I hope it was recorded. I'm going to listen to it again on a rainy day when I need some encouragement, okay? Uh, two major events are happening in our church today that uh, tie us to billions of Christians. They are, this afternoon, baptism, which signifies the beginning of the Christian life and our identity as followers of Christ and that internal conviction that grips us that I belong to Jesus goes public and, and baptism pictures that whole transformation and it's beautiful and while different wings of the church have different interpretations of exactly when that happens and how baptism works the, the single identity issue is the same in all Christian churches. And at the end of our service this morning, we're going to have the Lord's table, and we will participate in, in this uh, meal that Jesus instituted, and, and he did so in order to sustain us to live out that identity over a lifetime. Because the Lord's Supper says, go to the foot of the cross and meditate upon the greatest example of sacrificial love this world has ever known and personalize it, make it your own, and out of that relationship with God will flow hope to cope with challenging circumstances, strength to persevere, and, and freedom as a child of God. These two, baptism and the Lord's Supper, are hugely important over the last 2,000 years to sustain and help Christians stay centered in their identity in Christ and in their love for Christ because of his sacrificial love for us. So it's a great Sunday in the life of our church, and I hope that you can go <clears throat> excuse me, to the baptismal service this afternoon and in the process renew your own baptism. And if you've never been baptized, uh, get your name on the list for the next one because it is a powerful marker in our lives <clears throat> that we belong to Christ and we're glad that everybody can know about that. Well, that was all preliminary, so my time hasn't really started yet on this message. <clears throat> so if you are timing me, you can start now. The theme of this series is so provocative. It says, you are what you love. And um, thank you. That's a kind person who uh, 
sensed a need and filled it. So, uh, okay, so you are what you love. That means that if you love yourself too much, you're called a narcissist. If you love money too much, you're called a materialist. And if you don't love anything or anyone very much, you're probably aimless because purpose in life arises out of what we love the most. So, if we love our community in the name of Jesus, what does that mean for us? Well, it probably means that we're better neighbors than if we didn't love our community in the name of Jesus. We care about our neighbors. We want them to prosper. When they're going through hard times, we want to lend a hand, if we can, to make it a better community and a place to live. And if they come to know Christ as a result of our relationship and our witness, we rejoice. So there are enormous rewards in loving people in the name of Jesus. But that's not the whole story, is it? Because not everybody responds to our love. Some people are suspicious of our love and want to keep us at a distance. Some people might take from us and take from us and then throw all the good stuff we give them away. Sometimes we don't love in a way that a person can understand what we're trying to do in that book, The Language of Love, is a helpful way to get handles on how different experience, different people experience love differently. The, the fact of the matter is that if people don't respond to our love the way we want them to, we can become discouraged. And loving a community, either this church or Northeast Minneapolis, that is a huge task. And if you're discouraged today, you join some of the finest minds and persons of Christianity that have ever lived. Discouragement in loving is as old as the Bible itself. The Apostle Paul only talks about shedding tears once in all of his letters, and this is how he describes it. It says, for as, often, for, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul was saying in his journey of loving the people that, that were coming to faith in Christ, and he was trying to nurture them to follow his example. He said there are imposters around who are really false teachers, and they do great damage to these new Christians that I'm trying to work with. And he describes them. He says their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomachs, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. If you are here today and you're discouraged because of what people have done to people that you love and it's harmful and you love them deeply, you may very well shed tears over that, as did the Apostle Paul. That history of caring enough about people that we weep when it's not working is started for us in the Bible. It's a very powerful example. The other thing that happens when we're discouraged with what other people are doing in relationship to the love goals that we have for them is that we get discouraged with ourselves. We may have given everything we can 
think of giving in a love relationship and discover that it's not enough. Michael Phelps, the most decorated Olympian of all time, was asked how he felt about getting a silver medal. He tied with two others in a silver medal. You saw that. And you know how he answered that? He said, I gave it all I had. Sometimes when we give it all we have, we still don't accomplish the gold. He was aiming for a gold, and he missed it. He got a silver instead. That's still not bad when you stop and think of the big picture. But for us, sometimes when we give it all we have for as long as we think we can possibly do it, it's still not enough to accomplish what we want to take place in the lives of people that we're caring for. So the question is, how do you and I learn to love effectively and persistently over the long haul? There was a man in our church in Whittier who gave his witness one day to a group of men at a men's breakfast, and he said, I was asked to come to this church 43 times before I finally did, and when I finally did, within two or three weeks, I became a believer in Jesus Christ. So I said to him, how do you know it was 43 times? Who's counting? He said, I was. That's the kind of guy I am. I keep records. So when he started asking me to come to this church, I started making a little mark on my sheet of paper at work, and I kept counting. Now, between the fifth invitation and the 42nd invitation, I bet you the person who was inviting him said, maybe this is a hopeless case. Maybe I shouldn't keep on inviting him. Maybe he's going to get mad at me because I keep inviting him. Maybe I should just give up on this person. But he didn't give up, and it's such a good thing because in that 43rd invitation, the guy said yes, and he became a really vibrant Christian. So the issue of learning to love is not just a one-time big event. It is showing up day after day after day after day to love as Jesus loved, and that's what we need to learn how to do if we're going to be lifelong followers and be effective in our love for Christ. So the first step in being that kind of a person is to receive and experience Christ's love for yourself. Take a look at these uh, verses from 1 John. <clears throat> this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And then he says in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Now that's the law of love that we need to remember in our own lives. That loving other people is passing on what we have received. And if we haven't received God's love, if we are not in the habit of receiving God's love, if we're not centered in God's love, then we'll likely go empty inside and try to love out of emptiness, which never works very well. So when I was at Bethel Seminary leading the school, uh, a systematic uh, professor said, <clears throat> we had a class on God's love the other day, and I gave this assignment. We asked all of the students to take a blank sheet of paper and draw a line through the middle of it, and the top, write a definition of God's love. On the, on the bottom, draw a picture of yourself as you are receiving God's love. And he said, this student wrote a beautiful description of God's love. But the picture of himself was a 
frightened, scared little boy in the corner of her room, cringing in fear because he felt that God was going to judge him. Now that disconnect between our heads and our hearts needs to be bridged if we're going to be effective in loving people in the long haul with Christ's love. Because Christ's love is soul food. And if we do not feast on it regularly, we'll become weak. And when we're weak, we'll feel overwhelmed. And when we feel overwhelmed, we are often full of fear and discouragement. And fearful, discouraged people don't love well, do we? I don't. So the question is, how do we receive deeply the love of Christ? A couple months ago, I had a medical procedure that came because I wasn't able to get food to go from my mouth to my stomach. It stopped in my esophagus. Now, I don't mean to gross you out on this, and I know I don't look like I have been starving, so let's get that out of the way right now. <clears throat> but the fact of the matter is, two or three times a week when I'd be eating a meal, I'd have to get up and leave the table because it was stuck. There is a muscle right at the bottom of the esophagus just before going into the stomach, and mine had constricted. This is the third time I've had this procedure, so I now recognize the symptoms when they're going on. And it's not, it won't gross you out to hear that you, you are sedated and they put a tube down your throat and they have a balloon on the bottom of the tube and at that place where it is constricted, they blow it up and they stretch that open again. So now I can eat meals and enjoy all kinds of food, not just liquids and fluids. I think that's a picture of what happens in our lives, spiritually speaking. The question that we asked in the discussion time this morning is, describe an experience where you are surprised by someone else's kindness. Maybe some of you said, I was surprised the other day when I was driving down the road and we were going from two lanes to one and a Minnesota driver actually practiced Minnesota nice and gave me a space to get in. Maybe some of you said, I was at a restaurant the other day and we were all hungry for food, but the person stopped at the door and held it open until I got inside. That was un unexpected kindness. The world we live in is not ruled by kindness and love, is it? So what happens is we, the, the opening in our soul to receive it shrivels. It shrinks, and, and we lower our expectations. If love and kindness is in short supply, we just don't expect as much of it. And very easily, that transfers into our relationship with Christ. And so we are kind of self-sustained Christians who are doing it on our own, and the picture of God's love becomes an idea. So put the verse back on again that we had, because this is an amazing statement. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The English derivation of the word atoning means at-one-ment. It means all the barriers between ourselves and God have been taken away, and now we have closeness, fellowship with God 
intimate relationship with God. And if the, if the opening in our soul to receive God's love has shriveled and, and, and it's, it's not open to really being compelled by Christ's love or constrained by his love or overwhelmed by his love, we look at a verse as powerful as that, and, and it's an idea. And we say, well, that's a good idea. I'm familiar with that. I've heard it before. What's next? And if God's love becomes an idea, then all kinds of other things happen. If it's only an idea, it means that when we read the Bible, instead of it feeling like a love letter from God to us, it, it might feel like a dusty story of ancient people in an ancient world. And when we go to the Lord's Supper that we will at the end of this service, instead of going away filled with a new awareness of his love, we go away just about as empty as when we came. And that really is, that's a sign that something is going on that needs to be paid attention to. At least it is in my own soul. The other day I Googled up death by crucifixion to see what would come up. A number of articles came up written by medical doctors who had studied crucifixion in the ancient world. And I want to tell you it was an eye-opener to me all over again. Philippians says that Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. Why? Because dying on a cross, crucifixion, was the ugliest, most cruel, most shameful, most unwanted most despicable form of death in the ancient world. It was usually done outside the city walls where garbage was dumped. When I finished reading again the story of Christ's death on the cross, and remember that Jesus said, this is my body which is for you. That's the emphasis. I'm for you, not against you. I love you. That's why I gave my body. Nobody took it from me. I laid down my life for you. And then Jesus said, this blood is the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. He was saying, this is, this is a whole new arrangement between yourself and God. It's a new agreement. It's a new covenant. And my, my sacrifice on the cross makes total forgiveness of all sin possible and you were restored as my child now that's a compelling experience it's more than an idea it's about who we are in relationship to God we are loved people now I don't always experience that so one day I wrote out a prayer because I really needed to reconnect. I wrote, thank you, Jesus, for your love today. I encourage all of you to write out a prayer like this if you are needing to cement your receiving of his love. Thank you, Jesus, for your love today. I'm having a hard time receiving it. I can't stand me today, so it's really hard for me to believe that you can love me. 
Oh, Lord, I open my life to you today. Help me to believe that you truly love me and will help me. And I ask that you would help me to trust you to walk through these next days with me. Now, that's kind of a personal, desperate prayer in which we feed on Christ as the bread of life and we drink of Christ as the water of life and we experience love within. And now we have something to pass on. There's another phase to learning to love the way Jesus loved, and that's where we come to grips and deeply understand Christ's example. Just think for a moment. Let's take a, a brief review of the life of Christ and his loving deeds. He practiced a clear-minded and tough-minded love. There was an invalid by a pool for 38 years, and Jesus, who healed all kinds of diseases, came up, and do you know what he asked him? He said, do you want to be well? Now, of all the questions to ask somebody who had been sick for 38 years, you wouldn't think that would be a good one. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus understood that we can become so accustomed to being not well that we just soon stay there. I mean, after 38 years, he no doubt had some hired hands who came regularly to help him. And, and Jesus said, if you want to be healed, you've got to want to get out of that helpless condition and be a thriving, living, responsible person. Do you want to be well, he asked. Wow, what a question. So Nicodemus came to see him by night. Now, Nicodemus was the kind of guy that you'd love to have as your neighbor. He was a good man, says the Bible, in all the ways that mattered. And he came to Jesus. And what did Jesus say to him? You must be born again. Imagine what that does to the ego of a really good man who is working really hard to obey all the rules. And Jesus said, it's not going to be enough. You need an inner transformation of your heart. You've got to be born again. Or think of the rich man who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, obey all the commands. He said, I've done that from my youth. And then Jesus goes, said, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me and be my disciple. And it says the man walked away sorrowful where he had a lot of money. I mean, Jesus asked loving questions that got right to the heart of the matter that somebody needed the most. Secondly, Jesus loved people when it was really not convenient. One day he said to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. They had been doing nonstop healing and working with people for many days, and they were tired, and Jesus said, let's go to the other side. The crowd saw them in the boat go to the other side, and guess what? The crowd went, and from the villages around, they all came and were waiting for him when he was taking the disciples to a place of rest. And what does it say? He said, I'm too tired, you guys. Go back to your villages. No, it says he healed them. He worked with them. Now, you and I go through times when we say, I just can't do one more thing. But we can. Because Jesus gives us the strength to love more than we thought we could love. So we follow his example, and we ask for his wisdom and his strength. Thirdly, remember that Jesus laid down his life for us. 
1 John 3.16. Let's see if we have that text. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ down, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. One of the reasons the church has flourished over many decades in many locations is because a whole group of people caught the vision of sacrificial love. And they loved when it wasn't convenient. They loved when it meant asking hard questions. When Carol and I were in Cameroon a few years ago, we learned about the missionary movement in the latter part of the 1800s when missionaries were leaving England by the hundreds to go and share the gospel in Cameroon. And we learned this amazing thing. They packed their belongings in caskets, wooden coffins, because they had heard what happened because of the diseases in Africa. And they were quite sure that they would not come home alive. So they thought, why not pack our belongings in a cof coffin? We won't have to get one over there, or our family won't. I mean, is that sacrificial love or not? No wonder the church in Cameroon had a birth that was thriving and growing, and hundreds and thousands of people are there with schools and hospitals and all kinds of other educational institutions to improve the quality of life in Cameroon because of sacrificial love. Christ's sacrificial love is so powerful that we can be overwhelmed by it and we can pass it on. And, and we can remember Christ, the, the verse from Romans that says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if you're working with somebody who in your mind is really a big sinner, just remember that Christ died for that person just as he died for you. So you can love that person the way Christ loves that person. Oh, that's happened to me many times. We develop a kind of selectivity in our minds about who we want to love. And Jesus loves sinners, it says, and so can we. Finally, Jesus teaches us how the work of loving can be easy and the burden of loving can be light. Look at this passage of Scripture. I want to tell you, I have spent more time puzzling and working to learn from this passage than maybe any other passage of the Bible, but this is what Jesus said. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you experience the Christian life as easy and light? For many years of my life, I have felt the burden of loving was a huge burden, and it didn't feel either easy or light. So look at what Jesus says in the middle sentence there. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, one of the most important things you and I can learn about loving people is found right here in this passage because it uses the metaphor of a yoke. Now, not very much has changed in 2,000 years until 100 years ago on what yokes were like. There was a yoke for oxen, which, were on, which was a big piece of wood on top, 
and there was a yoke for horses that was uh, quite different than that. Okay, here's a team of horses. These weren't, this wasn't taken in the time of Christ. This is a recent, recent picture. <clears throat> but, but on the farm that I grew up on, uh, teams of horses pulled sleighs in the winter and wagons in the summer alongside of tractor. We were in our transition time. And that piece of wood that is attached to the collars of the two horses is called a neck yoke. And on the farm, my dad was constantly training in young horses to learn to be a part of the team. So imagine for a moment that you get uh, a, a big, old, steady, tried-and-true horse on the right-hand side, and call him King, because that's what his name was, and on the left side is a young trainee horse. And the one that I'm thinking of right now is called Prince. Now, when you train in a young horse, you put harnesses on both of them, and you get them strapped to a sleigh or a wagon, and then you start driving. And you need an old, reliable one who just keeps on going no matter what the young one does. The young one has been jumping back and forth, going too fast and too slow and wanting to get out of the harness and all kinds of craziness. So the first time we went to town five miles away, when we got there, you should have seen the difference between the two horses. Uh, you can take this down now, but the young horse was all wet with sweat. There was white foam under the collar. The old horse hardly broke a sweat, even though he had done most of the pulling. About a year later, about a year later, young Prince leaned into the collar and pulled his share of the horse, the load, and they worked together as a great team. When I was a kid, King and Prince was the workhorse team that I grew up with. Now, there's a lot of analogy between training in a young cult and what you and I need to learn about being yoked with Jesus, what it means that we need to remember who we're hooked up to and with. We need to stop trying to do all the work by ourselves or we'll be like the young horse that was anxious and nervous and jumpy and wore himself out, exhausted in five miles because he didn't know what was going on. So here's what I'd like you to listen to because I wrote out what this passage of Scripture has come to mean to me. And, and here's one way of thinking about it. Jesus is saying to you and to me, I'm with you in this. There are a lot of burdens of life. One of them is loving people. You are having a hard time loving this person or those people, but here's the plan. You do what you can do, and, I, and I'll do what I can do. Now think of who's speaking. Jesus can do it all, but he partners with us and says, I, I will use your part in this for my glory and your satisfaction and joy. Jesus says, keep, keep learning from me. I will teach you how my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Learn to depend upon me. Keep pace with me. When I say stand, stand. When I walk, walk. When I'm running, 
you run. Don't panic when you feel weak. I am with you, and I am strong all the time. Rely upon my strength. Remember, I love you. Don't forget to receive my love so that you'll have what people need the most. Follow my example in how I love you. As I have loved you, think of how Jesus accepts you. Pass that on to others. If you do this, you will find rest for your soul. And after you have rested a while, you'll be able to go out and again pass on my love to others. Remember, says Christ, I always do the heavy lifting. You do the rest, and you'll find that it's doable and full of meaning. In just a moment, you'll be invited to come forward and receive the elements of the Lord's Supper. We invite everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ to partake in this service. It's the Lord's table, not ours. And if you know him, then you're invited to participate in this. If you don't know him, you want to think about that because uh, Jesus is saying this symbolizes that you have received from me my love and forgiveness. And if you're going to receive him right now, that would be a great time to come and receive communion as your first act of faith. The bread is gluten-free. You will take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. And then when you're ready, you partake of the bread and, and the wine that symbolizes Christ's body and his blood. Say a prayer right now. That this will be more than a good idea but it will be a time when you eat the bread of Christ and drink of Christ, who is the water of life and who gives us this new relationship. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we pause to thank you and worship you because you are such a great God and great King and great Lord and kind shepherd patient Savior and sustaining strength and solid rock. You are our defender and our help and we are so, so grateful. Bless, I pray, the, those who are going to be baptized this afternoon and make it a powerful marker in their life, I pray. And speak to us and Meet us at our point of need just now, I pray, in the name of Christ. Amen.